that we've been looking at hidden figures. Now, anybody here, have you seen the movie Hidden Figures? Raise your hand. If you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, raise your hand. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. It's great. It's, you know, we hear of, uh, when you think of the space program and landing on the moon, what names pop up? Neil Armstrong, right? I, I've been wanting to say, like, Lance Armstrong, and I'm like, no, that's wrong. That's, I know that's wrong. Neil. All right, what else? It was, uh, there's two big names. Ne it was Neil Armstrong and... John Glenn, Buzz Aldrin, right? Those are names that you notice, names that you probably hear about that landed on the moon, did things like that. But there's hidden, there's hidden heroes in that story, which if you watch the movie Hidden Figures, you see that there was some amazing women that their names aren't as recognizable, but they played crucial roles. And what's amazing about their story, what's amazing about the story is being African-American women back then during the 60s, I mean, they had to go against a lot of adversity, yet they played instrumental parts in getting those guys on the moon and back again. It was really awesome. It was an amazing movie. But the reason, the purpose of why they call it Hidden Figures is really there was hidden heroes that need to be recognized. And we've been looking at this series, and we've been talking about that there's the hidden heroes in the Bible that some of us know about, but most of us probably have misunderstood. And these are, there's women in the Bible that sometimes their story gets buried under a different person, under maybe they play a sub-role in the context, and or because something happened to them or they did something, you may kind of, you know, misjudge them. And we've been looking at that story. Six of the women we've been talking about, y'all caught me, right? I said six, okay? Six of the women we talked about, four of them are Jesus's great-great-great-grandmothers, right? They're his relatives. And man, Jesus's, those relatives, they're all kind of crazy, right? So hey, if you got, anybody got a crazy family? We all got a crazy aunt, right? I got a few of them, all right? We all got those people, you know, those nuts on the family tree. We all got them, okay? Jesus has them too. And so it's great to see that. And what we loved about those four women in Jesus' genealogy is it says, listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your history is. Your history does not determine your destiny. Jesus does. All are welcome in the family of God. So we saw those four women in Jesus' life. And the one last week is Mama, which speaking of all days, Today, I have to recognize two amazing women that are in this room right now because they're not always in the same room at the same time. I got to recognize two hidden heroes that you may know who they are, but you don't see all that they do and all that they struggle and all that they go through. And those two women are in this room. It's my wife over there and my mama over there. And so stand up because we got to love on you guys. If y'all knew what they do, y'all would clap louder than that. If y'all knew all that they do. If y'all knew all that they do, all that they struggle with, all that they just, I mean, their heart breaks for you guys, man, ridiculous. And so, see, those are, there's hidden heroes in our church today, and uh, we're going to, man, we've talked about Jesus' mama. We're going to talk about a different woman today that sometimes gets overlooked by a sibling. Anybody here have multiple siblings? You ever had that cousin that you're just like in their shadow the whole time, right? Or that older sister, the younger sister? Anybody got one of those? Right? We all do. We all do, and we have those sibling rivalries, and oh, they, you know, the, the parents, it's that one kid, like, why can't you be more like, right, fill in the blank, you know, why can't you be more like, listen, we're going to talk about a woman today that was like that, that our first introduction, our first introduction to this woman tends to leave a little bit of a mark, and every time we see her, a lot of times we misunderstand or we prejudge who she is. And we're going to talk about that woman today because she had a sister who, you know, again, she was kind of like in her uh, hiding behind her shadow, but she deserves some, not only does she deserve some attention, but what God was trying to communicate with her was 
amazing. And so the whole point of this sermon series, what we've been looking at as we're wrapping it up today, is again, number one, we can see that, man, all are welcome in the family of God. When we see all who have been made a part of Jesus' family, all are welcome. But also we've noticed as we've been going through each and every woman, we've noticed that in their stories, they were either misjudged, they were either abused, marginalized women that God did not discount when other people discount. Where the Lord did not remain silent, though others remain silent of injustices that they were going through. And so, see, the whole point of this sermon series to see all of that, to see how God worked in their favor, was to inspire us to treat others better. That's kind of the point there. It's like, look, look how God did not allow these, even though this happened to her, or she did this, God looked past her past and brought her into a greater present and gave her a better future. And so that, God, to see the Lord work in their favor like that ought to inspire us to treat one another better. But here's the catch. You and I are unable to truly serve every hidden figure that's out there. Every hidden figure that's been misunderstood, marginalized, or abused. You and I are unable to truly help them. These hidden figures because of hidden prejudice that's inside of all of us. Let me say, uh, no. Um, I'm not prejudiced ever, okay? Um, because a lot of times we think that prejudice is what? Either sexist or racist. Do you guys know that? No, there's hidden prejudice in all of us. If you've ever talked about somebody in a negative way, you have prejudged them. If you've ever told them to their face or inside, you know, you'd be out there, be saying a couple stuff, and be like, look, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what they did, right? Let me tell you. By the way, that's not a reference to smoking weed, okay? All right. It's called sipping tea, completely different, okay? Sipping tea is just kind of spelling gossip, all right? It's kind of thing. There's some people who like to sip tea. Some people like to brew their own tea, right? And just be, man, they just be out there. Let me tell you, oh, let me tell you, here, you want something? Come here, come here right? It's crazy. But listen, with all that, with all that, you and I have hidden prejudices, there's, if you've ever prejudged someone and said, man, my idea is better, or you discounted somebody, you are putting yourself at a higher position in that person. We all have hidden prejudice inside of all of us. This is why we need God to work in our hearts, to open up our eyes. Because for the Lord to truly use our hands, he needs our heart. Catch me with that. For God to use your hands... Meaning, for the purpose that God has put in your life, that purpose has no purpose if, G, if the person of Christ is not feeling it all. God doesn't want your hands. He wants your heart. When he gets your heart, your hands follow. And that's the story that we're going to look at today. And here's the lady. Her name is Martha. Okay, we're going to look at Martha today. Martha's story, she got a sibling. She got a younger sister that be outdoing her all the time. And we see her. There's, Martha pops up three times in the Gospels. Her, actually, it's three siblings, and they pop up three times. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, okay? He's the boy. I don't know if he's the youngin' or whatnot, but he's the boy. And so the three of them are out there. If you've ever heard of the story, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, that was their younger brother. That was the brother there, okay? So this, this trio of siblings pop up three times in the scriptures. We're going to look at the first time Mary and Martha pop up because it all is dealing with this conversation of hands and heart, but there's something deeper that I believe that God was trying to communicate to her. Martha at that moment, that matters to every woman today and all of us. So, fellas, I ain't leaving y'all out, okay? I got you, okay? I got you. So, we're going to look, and here's the thing. Um, when you, Luke is the one we're going to look at today, okay? Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is not a Jew. 
Luke was not an apostle. Luke was not there to see Jesus and all the miracles. He was not there at this conversation. But Luke opens up his gospel, and he says, listen, I am compiling evidence. I've done eyewitness accounts. I've gone and interviewed people who were there, interviewed all of the people. That, and this is done just a few years after the resurrection, okay, a handful of years after. And he, because he wasn't there, but he knew things happened. He knew things went down. He put his faith in Jesus, and he wanted to make sure that I'm going to put down an account for all of those. See, I wasn't there. I missed it. I want to know what happened. And I want to make sure I'm going to write something so everybody else who missed it, everybody else who wasn't there, they could know what happened too. So can we put that uh, Luke, uh, Luke's outline? I want you to check this out. In Luke chapter 10, we see Martha and Mary introduced for the first time. But before we get to Mary and Martha in chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, Luke uh, is talking about these other stories. By the way, nothing is done by random. Chapter 10, uh, actually, can we go back to that outline? Chapter 10, I want you to look at this. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, Luke is talking about what we do when we live for God and serve others. That's what he talks about, what we do when we live for God. What is what we do? What are what we do? Well, Jesus actually sent a lot of his disciples two by two out into the world. He says, all right, guys, it's time to, you know, do some uh, let's do a preseason action here, okay? I want you to go out in the world. I want you to go out into this, not the world, you know, go out into the towns, go out into the local regions, and I want you to cast out demons. I want you to tell them that the kingdom of God is here, to repent, that God is moving, that the Messiah is here. Go tell them the good news. Show them all I've shown you. I'm giving you power to do stuff. I don't know about you, if you would have had some, some, some superpowers, how, how you would be using or, ooh, what was that, using or abusing. But here he goes, I want y'all to go out. And so in chapter 1, chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, we see what we do when we live for the Lord and serve others. That's spreading the good news. That's, you know, healing, the heart, healing everybody's hearts, bodies, whatever it is, making a difference out there. Well, then he tackles that and he goes to the next one. Okay, well, how do we live for God? While we are out there living for him, well, how do we do that? Here's the story of the Good Samaritan. Some of you might have heard it, okay? And the Good Samaritan is a story of a Jew who was beaten, bruised, and left for dead. It's a fake story. By the way, it was a story that they used to teach all the time. And Jesus says, there were two rabbis, two other religious figures who walked over, and they saw this guy bloody, beaten, left for dead. And both of them went out of their way to get out of the ways to not help him. And the whole context was, well, how do we live for God? How do we, how do I love my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. Well, there was a guy who was bloody, beaten, robbed, left for dead. Two religious figures walked by, didn't help. See, the two religious figures, here's what they were thinking. They saw that man and they were thinking, what's going to happen to me if I help him? If I, because there was, there was laws back then that if you touch the dead body, you touch the, a, a bloody body, there was now, uh, I'm going to be unclean. There's things that I got to do now. If I go help him, if I help him, what's going to happen to me? What are people going to think of me if I lower myself, if I help this person? What's going to happen to me if I help him? Then Jesus remixes the story that they all knew about. And he says, and then a Samaritan shows up. And that was controversial because Samaritan, talking about prejudice, Samaritans and Jews were prejudiced and racist against one another. And so here, he makes the Samaritan the hero to the Jewish audience. And now the Samaritan goes and he's helping the Jew. It's like me saying, that, that, you know, somebody left, a, you know, Black Lives Matter person out there, bloody, beaten, and robbed. And then the, you know, dragon of the Ku Klux Klan comes and goes and pays his medical bills and does all this. I'm like, wait. But if he's the Ku Klux Klan, why would he do that? Don't make sense. Look, just don't overanalyze my an analogy, okay? Don't overanalyze my analogy. But it's that, like, it's that shocking. Why would he do that? They don't do that. What would happen? And so, because here's the thing. The Samaritan was not thinking, what's going to happen to me if I help him? The Samaritan was thinking, what's going to happen to him if I don't help him? 
He was thinking about the person. He wasn't thinking about himself. So he was like, all right, I'll pay his bills. I'll do this. I'll do that. He was thinking about him. And so, and Jesus tells that story to say, listen, it's not love your neighbor and who's my neighbor. No, you be that neighbor. You know, I, I cannot say that without thinking of Mr. Rogers. Anybody else? Won't you be my neighbor? Wrong guy. Okay. Right? That guy. Won't you be my neighbor? And so, listen, Jesus says, no, you be that neighbor, bro. You be that neighbor. So in Luke, he's eye-highlighting. What are we supposed to do to serve God? Well, we're supposed to go out into the world, tell others about Jesus, and, and, you know, perform, do what God, love people, serve people. Okay, how do we do that? By being good neighbors, by loving one another, loving those who don't look like us, loving those who don't like us, loving those who might not love what we believe, but we're going to love them anyways. We're going to love them anyways. And then he introduces now Martha and Mary, and I believe it's all connected. We go from what we do for how we live, and now Luke is answering this question. Okay, who's allowed to go? Who's allowed to go out into the world? Who's allowed to go be that neighbor? Who's allowed to be a part of this? And then we enter. Here comes Mary and Martha. Let's read their story first, and then we're going to talk about it. So right after Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan and being a good neighbor, we pick up now in verse 38. Now as they were, am I right? Yes. Now as they were on their way. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. That's important there. So, wow. Martha, at this point, we don't know. She could have been widowed, but she has a house, so she's a pr prominent person in this, co in this village here. So she's the oldest. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. Think about that. Remember that. I know it's awkward. I don't know what it is about feet this whole series okay if you've been if you've been watching more than one series we talk a lot about feet i don't know why but anyways you gotta catch up all right so here she is sitting at the lord's feet listening to his teaching but look at the difference where's Mar where's mary where's mary sitting at his feet where's martha let's look at this martha was distracted some of y'all any add folks distracted right now can't you tell i am right now so anyways all right martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to then help me, right? Tell her then to help me. Jesus, don't stand there. Don't look at me like that, Jesus. Go tell her. She getting fresh. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. He said it twice just to calm her down. Martha, Martha. Any uh, Brady Bunch fans? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Okay, anyways, I'm ADD, right? Just so totally distracted right now. All right, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. End of story. We don't see Mary and Martha for a little bit. Now, that first introduction to Martha, it, it's kind of negative, right? I'm like, yo, who's, who's she out here demanding to Jesus? Jesus, get you get off your butt. I need you to do something for me, right? I mean, who does that? I mean, you should see my wife, like, you know, she, when the kids, she was like, look, uh, she tells them, pick up that, pick up that piece of trash. I'm like, that ain't mine. <laughs> Did I ask if it was yours? <laughs> it's like, I didn't ask if it was yours. I said, get it, okay? Pick it up. And so it's interesting. I mean, Martha, she, she all like mama bear right now, and she, she's upset at Mary. And us, we would think, I'm like, okay, you know, here's the baby sister, you know, I don't know, the favorite, I don't know what not. Here she is being lazy, Mary's being lazy, Martha's like, 
you know, whatever. Maybe she was telling Martha, Martha wouldn't listen. And maybe she was, that's why she had to get Jesus in that scenario because she wasn't paying attention. So we get this negative thing about Martha. And then the story ends there. And then later we, we see Martha is the first one to meet Jesus when Lazarus, her brother, was dead. And Martha kind of gets fresh with Jesus again. I was like, Jesus, if you were only here, he, my brother wouldn't have died. Bro, you're late. But, but still, that statement was amazing because she believed in who Jesus was and said, Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. I know who you are. So Ma Martha had great faith. Sometimes we don't need to see that. Martha has great faith. She believed when very few men believed. Even the, some of the disciples didn't even get it like Martha did. Interesting. And then, but but we, we leave it there and we think, oh, Martha. And, then, and a lot of times this sermon, here's how this text is preached. It's usually preached as a sermon about work and worship. You can't, hey, don't be so busy doing that you're not being with Jesus, right? I mean, I, I tell all of our volunteers all the time, listen, I want to make sure that we have a volunteer culture that we're not so busy doing that we don't know how we're doing. Are you following me with that? Some of y'all need to, like, write that down for your own family. Because some of y'all so busy doing that you don't even know how your kids are doing. You don't even know how, how you, you don't even know the condition of how your marriage is doing because y'all just so busy doing. I'm waiting for you to write that down because that's good. Okay. Anyways, so, but we try to live that here, same thing. And so here she is, and so we see that negative thing there. But listen, it's more, I really believe that this, this message, Jesus is trying to teach Martha more than just how to balance work and worship, which we do. I want you to know that. The great, uh, the great theologian back in the day, John Wesley, he wrote a song that says, listen, we need Mary's heart and Martha's hands. We need them both. We need Mary's heart and we need Martha's hands. We got to be able to, when we know, you know, roll up our sleeves, do what we need to do. I mean, Martha has a gift of hosting. Martha has a gift of serving. You guys know that that's a gift? Some of y'all say it's a curse, okay? Man, but so you know people that just love to host people. They love to serve people. That's a gift that God gave you. You know, uh, Alicia's like that. My wife's like that. She loves to host. She loves and hates having people at the house. I'll tell you why. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let y'all in on some, some secrets. Ready? Even a little secret game that we play. Watch this. So, look, you're going to judge us. I don't care. Okay, watch. She loves and hates to have people over because when she has people over, she's so in hostess mode that she's so distracted, she actually loses her appetite. She, she can't eat. You know, she just doesn't want to eat. Anybody see? Look at that. Like, there's a couple of people like, yep, I know how that feels like. She's so focused on others that she's so distracted. She has, she, if, if she eats, she'll get sick or, you know, feel funny, so she doesn't eat. And then, so that, that's her. And then we have this, like, weird game. So now I'm really giving y'all insider information. Some of y'all know this. We play a game, okay? Her and I play this game while we're hosting people. You're going to check it out next time. And so we, we clean sections of the house little by little as people are there. So the game is that when the last person leaves, it's like no one was there. So we don't have to clean when people leave. So we just, you know, clean everyone. Look, we're 36. We're 35. That's entertaining for us, okay? She's 35 for another month. That's entertainment for us. It's fun. It's pretty cool. So that's the game that we play, and then it's all said and done. So I think a lot of you know what it's like to be so distracted and you're missing out on the most important thing. That's what Martha's doing. But I really believe that this is more to do with work and worship. I believe that Jesus is trying to teach Martha the worth of a woman. A thousand percent. I think Jesus is trying to teach Martha not just how to balance work and worship. I think Jesus is trying to teach Martha the worth of a woman. In fact, ever since, ever since the God, ever since the Moses brought the law, 
That, that law, even when we read it, we've been talking about it, that law sounds very antiquated, sounds really old, but listen, that law was actually revolutionary for the time. It gave women and marginalized individuals more protection, more rights, and more freedom than almost any other culture at, in ancient world. I mean, God was literally doing something new in the world, something better for everyone, not just for the few, for everyone. And then Jesus comes in and really busts the top off. And Jesus actually changes forever the role of women in the family and the role of women in ministry. And I think that's what he's trying to teach Martha, and that's what's happened now. See, after Jesus, Jesus' teachings, and we see all the letters in the New Testament, here's how women's role, the, the role of a woman has changed forever in the family. Y'all ready for this? Here it is. Back then, a lot of y'all know, even some, you can say, man, it still is today, but hey, there's been a lot of advancements. And here's the thing. Jesus was a big, a big role in it. See, in a very male-centered culture, Let's say talking about divorce. A woman had no right to be able to divorce a husband back then in ancient times, even in Israel. She had no rights. If the guy was a dirtbag, treated her wrong, misabused her, she could not divorce him. But if she sneezed as funny, that guy could divorce her for any reason. Okay? Just like, you know, like, you sneeze funny. Alicia sneezes funny, right? She's one of those that doesn't sneeze. You ever, like, you know people who do that? You know people who do that? That's her. I, I think it's cute. I think it's cute as can be. So, if a guy's like, uh, what was that? Uh, divorced. Okay, we're done with you. I'm moving on. That was weird. Okay. A guy could divorce a girl for whatever reason. Jesus starts saying, mm-mm, that's not what I meant. That's not what God meant in the law. God never intended that. In fact, Jesus was teaching a form of marriage where divorce was never even an option. Now, for those of you who been, have been divorced, look, there's grace for that too. Whether God has grace, regardless if it's your second third or fourth, look, whichever one y'all at right now, God wants that one to work, okay? That's the one. Whichever one you are in, God can make that one work, okay? But, the, but Jesus was talking about, listen, marriage with no divorce. And the guys were like, who could do that? Who could live like that? Then who can get married ever? You know why Jesus was doing that? To give women security. So, because if a woman was divorced and she was widowed, or now she's an adulteress, no one would have wanted her. No one wanted her. And she would have been destitute and have to be sold into slavery. For, for the rest of her life. So Jesus was teaching about a marriage that secured the rights of women more. Not only that, but then Jesus, when he says, love one another as I have loved you, Paul talks and he expands on that and says, listen, marriage is supposed to be equal submission. Ever, there's so many fellas that love to quote, wife has to submit to the husband, but they stop reading because if you keep reading, it says, and husbands, submit to your wives. Uh, there's, a, there's a part B to that. And so now marriage under Christ, under the new covenant, Marriage is supposed to be a submission competition, okay? It's literally not a race to the front. It's a race to the back of the line. Marriage is supposed to be who can outdo the other as the biggest server. That's what marriage looks like. Marriage looks like, okay, I'm going to serve you. No, I'm going to serve you. This, it's a competition of who can serve the other the best. That's what marriage is supposed to be. That elevated now women to say, listen, fellas, you got to do some stuff. In fact, look, I am all for equality, but I guarantee you not, there's not one feminist that would love the equality or want equality according to how God treats a husband because in the word, God actually holds husbands to a higher standard. There's no verse in the Bible that says, woman, if uh, I'm not going to listen to your prayers if you mistreat your husband, but there is one that says, uh, husband, I'm not going to pay attention to your prayers if you mistreat your wife. Anybody want equality on that one? Who wants to trade? Anybody want to trade? Yo, God puts, God puts it on the fellas, big time. Okay? And, and, but he, he puts greater, 
greater responsibility on the fellas to be able to be the number one server in the house, the number one this and that. And so he gives greater dignity to marriage. But you know what else Jesus does? This is awesome. You got to check this out. He actually dignifies, Jesus dignifies being single. Some of y'all are like, I ain't trying to be single, bro. I was like, I know. But listen, sometimes people think being single is like this, eh, it's like a bad taste in your mouth. Just when you wake up in the morning, you got that bad breath, eh, you know. Listen, we think that being single is just like lower. No, but actually, according to the scriptures, according to Paul, according to Jesus, being single is actually a greater honor than being married. Because you're not about, your legacy is not going to be a biological legacy. Your legacy is about, it's a different kind of legacy. It's different. So he elevates being single. So the good thing about that is now, let's say a woman doesn't want to get married. Jesus saying, if you want to serve the Lord in that way, that's okay. That was revolutionary back then. Huge. And let's say a woman, if they don't want to remarry after, if they get married and the husband dies and she's a widow, oh, well, I, the culture was you have to get married because you need, I mean, it was like, Jesus says, no, if, if you want to serve the Lord now in this season your life is single, you can do it. You're free. Some of y'all are like, I'm just waiting to be free. My turn. I'm waiting for this guy. He's taking too long. I'm waiting to be free myself. I was like, no. Okay. But see, but that's awesome, though. Like, Jesus was elevating. Look, you a single woman. You don't have to have a mark. You don't have to feel bad about yourself. You are worthy. You are beautiful. You are amazing. You got a purpose. You don't need a man to, for, to find that. Jesus is the man you need. He's the one. He's the one you need, ultimately. And then find yourself a fella who loves Jesus, and there you go. But anyways, so he was saying, look, marriage is not the mark. Jesus is the mark. And so he elevates the role of women inside of the family. But this one's very controversial still today. I'm, I'm not going to give you anything that's going to like, and you can, you know, come across any argument. Here's the thing. Jesus forever changed the role of women in ministry. It's very controversial today on, hey, what's the role of women in the, in the church? Can women be teachers? Can women be pastors? Can women be this? Can women be that? Can women hold that position, this position, that position? It's very controversial. And a lot of it is because we sometimes read the scriptures a certain way. And we confuse things. Because the institution of the family is different than the church, guys. The family, God puts the husband as the head of the house. If you're married, he's the head, has the responsibilities. Not that he's the mandando, the, the, the main one, kind of telling people what to do. No, he's the first one, the first server, the biggest server. But sometimes we think, oh, if the, if the husband is the head of the house, that means the husband or the guy has to be the head of the house of God, too. Mm. Pause. Yeah, think about that one. Because here's the thing that Martha is missing. Mary catches on to it really fast. And she's like, look, the dishes can wait, Martha. There's something happening here, and I ain't missing it. Martha doesn't see it. And here's what Jesus does. See, we actually see, I wrote some of this down, I want to share it with you. Women are now elevated in the, because remember I told you, what was the whole story of Martha and Mary? It was not what is done, how do we live for the Lord, what do we do when we live for the Lord, how do we do it, but it was what, who, who's allowed Who's allowed to participate in this mission called the church and this mission called the rescue and the redemption of the world? Jesus is showing that women are included too. Women are included too. Women, Jesus had women disciples. You know that whole position? Where was Mary again? Where in the story, where was Mary? At his feet. That was not by accident. Luke put that there for a reason. Because being at the feet of a teacher means that is the position of a disciple. That is the position of a disciple. If you are at the feet of a master, you're at the feet of a teacher, you are a disciple, and women were not allowed to be disciples. So now you can understand Martha's, like, is this Martha's house? Here's her sister be doing what she's not supposed to be doing. 
Women aren't supposed to be disciples. Mary, could, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. I can't take you anymore. Right? Oh, Mary, always, God, it's always you. Man, why are you embarrassing me? This is my house. What are you doing? Get, get up, girl. Get you doing? Get, get in. Right? So you can see why Mary's upset. You know, she's mad because Mary's not in her lane. Mary's not, yo, Mary, you need to get in your lane. That's not where you belong. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what women do. You're not there. You're not supposed to be there. But Jesus says, hey, hold on. Martha, hold on. Don't, you're, you're missing it. You're so distracted trying to get the pot roast ready. Well, hold on. They're Jewish. Did they eat that? No, I don't know. Um, I don't know. The lamb. Okay, you know, here, here you are. You're trying to get the food all ready. Trying to get all that. Trying to make sure the air conditioning is good. And, you know, everything's good. Hold on. You're missing something that's amazing here. I want her there. I'm changing everything. I'm changing everything. I'm including women in this too. I'm including, don't be so distracted, Martha, you missed this. Don't miss it, Martha, don't miss it. I'm including women in this. Jesus has women disciples, and Mary and Martha weren't the only one. There were other women disciples. That was controversial back then. But Jesus, again, he don't care about what anybody thinks. He's out there trying to rescue everybody. If you look at the Gospels, check this out. We actually have evidence that women were deacons in the New Testament. Paul and others talk about women being deacons, which are positions of leadership in a church. We have women who are teachers. We have women who are prophetesses, the speaking the word of the Lord. We have women who are ministers. And in fact, you can read Romans, and Paul says in Romans, hey, um, and named among the apostles are, he starts naming some women. They were women apostles. Now, it weren't the 12. They were these other apostles who saw the risen Jesus. And there were women who were considered apostles. In fact, Paul even says, hey, he listed these two women and said, they are my co-workers. We all know what a co-worker is. We all use that word. But to say co-worker, he's not saying, look, these are my subordinates. These are my secretaries. Co. The apostle Paul says, they're on my level. They're co. We do this together. We're equal in this. Co-workers. Jesus is saying, hey, women are allowed to. But then they're like, oh, hold on, pastor, because what about those couple verses? Because it's, it get, this is where, the, where everybody gets confused. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, he says this. He says, listen, women, do not interrupt the service with your questions. Keep quiet. Go to your house. Talk to your husband. You can ask him there. I know some of y'all got, wait, what'd you say? Y'all got Twitter with that hashtag ready. Wait, what, what, what was that verse? I got that hashtag. What was that verse? Okay. You're like, who do you say what? When you read a verse out of context, you misunderstand it. See, right before that, Paul was saying, listen, women, you all can pray in public. It's cool. You can pray in worship. You can prophesy in worship. You can do that. But he was addressing a problem specific to that church. There were some women who were just, I guess, eager beavers or whatever. They were like, uh, hold on, uh, sir. What was that? Can you explain that again? Or what does that mean? They're here during this. We're singing music. I'm like, why are we singing that song? Or what is that? And so these people were just distracted. They were being interrupted. Again, imagine. I mean, who, did y'all have a good time this morning so far with the band leading in worship today? Okay, tell me, would you have had the same experience if somebody was like, it's cold in here. Why is it so cold? How long are we going to sing this song? That song's been going on for a long time. Uh, <laughs> that would have been annoying, right? And so Paul was saying, listen, there's some of y'all that you keep on asking all of these questions. Listen, you can participate, but you're, but you're being disruptive. So, so, just, so he's correcting. A, he's not saying women aren't allowed to you know, sit there and quiet, you know. There's another one that says, hey, women, cover your hair because the glory of the woman is a hair and the glory of God and glory belongs to God during service. He's like, 
I'm supposed to do what? You know? Listen, he's correcting a problem. In this specific church, there were a bunch of girls who were showing up all cute. Oh, yeah, they were showing up a little too cute. And they were there trying to get not just Jesus' attention. They were out there singing the songs, looking on the side, making sure, you know, they're getting a little bit of that glory too, a little bit of that eye. They're out there singing their songs to him. So Paul, I'm never going to do that again, okay? Paul, Paul is trying to say, listen, girl, don't show up to church trying to get all the attention. Put your attention on Jesus. So just kind of cover up a little bit. Don't be, don't be showing out there with them, you know, tacos, these little high heels out there. Be going to church. Look, you look uncomfortable. You look uncomfortable, girl. Stop. You're going to, you know, be looking out there like you're just a giraffe born. And I'm like, no, that's not cute. That's not cute. It's not cute. Stop. Stop. Just be comfortable. Your attention should be on Jesus, not getting, other, not getting the attention of the fellas. Y'all catch me with that? That's what it is. That's what it is. So, and just so you know, listen, just so you know, Paul is an equal opportunist critic. Paul, not only does he say, women, chill with your questions, he actually tells the fellas, stop grumbling, stop complaining, stop fighting. So he critiques the fellas too. But then here's the other one that sometimes people get confused. First Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy in his letter, hey, women should not teach under, and he kind of says this verse that implies women aren't allowed to teach. And that's what people say, hey, women shouldn't be pastors. Women shouldn't be communicators. A woman should only teach a woman, not women and men. And, but that's misunderstood. Because what he was, t- he was trying to help was the issue where, again, a bunch of other eager beavers who just got saved, very smart women, capable women, who got saved and immediately wanted to start doing and teaching and get right in it. He was like saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to go through the same process that a guy does. If you want to be a teacher, there's a process. There's a process. you got to go through a process. you got to learn. Submit yourself. You need to check this out. So he was not saying women aren't allowed to teach. He was just saying, look, if you want to teach, there's a process. Chill. Not now. He never was saying you're not ever. It was not now. So listen, that's amazing that Jesus is now elevating women in the roles of the family, in the roles of the ministry. He's saying, Ladies, y'all special. Y'all got something I put in you and the world needs and you got to contribute. So come on now. Get in. You know, don't be stuck in this lane that is the world. The world has this lane for you. And a lot of times what Martha was doing, Martha was in her lane. Martha was in her lane doing what she was supposed to do, what a woman's supposed to do, and the way she's supposed to do it. And God was trying to say, listen, Martha, your worth does not come from your work. Your identity is not wrapped up in your activity. It's the opposite. When you understand your worth, your work flows after that. Your identity is not selected on what the world says you are, what the world says you're supposed to do. It's who I say you are. It's who I say you are. It's who I say you are. Your work doesn't make you worthy. No, I do. That's what he's telling Martha. That's what he's telling Martha. I do. And so now, the only requirement to follow Jesus it has nothing to do with gender anymore. The only requirement that, that you need to follow Jesus or to be out in the world to do something is you need to, God has to call you, number one. Uh, you can't call yourself, okay? God has to call you. God has to gift, and, gift you. And you have to be given an opportunity for training and for, you know, being equipped. That's it. That's all you need. And all are available. All are called. No matter your past, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become. And so here's the amazing part. If you gotta, when you read the Bible, you've got to make the connections. The third time we see Martha, guess what we see? A similar scene. They're back at Martha's house. 
chilling, relaxing. Mary's where she's supposed to not where she's supposed to be. Mary is where she wants to be at the feet of Jesus. This is where she brings this alabaster jar, pours perfume, and all that. Mary's at the feet of Jesus, and Martha. Guess what Martha's doing? She's serving. You were like, wait, this sounds familiar. But you know what you don't see? You don't see Martha complaining. And you don't see Jesus criticizing. You don't see Jesus correcting Martha. You know what that tells us? Martha learned her lesson. She was so worried about everything being perfect, she was missing this opportunity. What God was saying, Martha, look, it's nice. It, the house is clean enough. Come sit at my feet. There's room for you too. So we see that Martha, she's now working and worshiping at the same time. She's working and worshiping at the same time. She's not distracted. It just says she's serving. It doesn't say she's distracted. Before, she was preoccupied with serving instead of being occupied by Jesus. The third time we see her, she is serving with a heart for the Lord. He, she's not preoccupied. She's occupied with Jesus. She's doing everything for him because of him, and it's not in the way. See, there's a way, there is a balance to this. And I believe that Jesus, is what, what he was trying to tell Martha is the same thing that he's trying to tell us. That he's trying to tell us, and it's this. Martha was complaining, Mary, you got to get in your lane. But Jesus was low-key telling Martha, uh, Martha, no, you need to get in the Lord's lane. There's a different lane. There's a different lane. You stuck on that lane. You need to get, look, there's an on, there is an off-ramp that I am building right now, Martha. You're missing it. There's an off-ramp for you. There's an off-ramp that you can take to a different way, a different path. I'm creating a different lane. Martha, you need to get out of this lane. You need to get off on the on-ramp. Look, one time me and Alicia were driving in Texas. Texas traffic is not like Tampa traffic. High, everything is bigger in Texas, even the highways. I mean, it was like six lanes going one way, six lanes going the other. It was nuts. I was on the far left side, okay? And we're driving, and this is the first time I've ever driven in Texas. And she's with us both first time. And we're looking at the GPS. We're listening. I missed a turn. So, okay, so recalculating, you know, whatever. And so as we're talking, and then it recalculates again and says, take exit four now. And I'm like, what? I'm all the way on the left side. I'm on the farthest side, okay? I'm going to give my mom a uh, heart attack right now. And so here's what happened. So I'm on the farthest left side, and it says, take the turn now. I'm like, wait, what'd she say? She said turn now. Take it now. What? Now? She's like, yes, I said now. And so, uh, and so I'm like, what do... What do, and she's, at least she's looking at me, she's not saying, I'm looking at her, and at least I did this, okay? I gave a quick, in my, uh, in my peripherals, and I just went, and I cut all six lanes, and literally, I didn't even look back. I was like, oh! Made it off, and I stopped, and I looked at her, and she looked at me. We're never doing that again, Okay? GPS's fault, man. It's the GPS's fault. But listen, you, I need you to understand that the Lord has created a new lane for you. And you need that desperation. When you see, no, God is saying there's a way out for you. There's a new way for you to live. You need to bolt out of the highway that you're heading and get on that lane. You need to get in a new lane. Like that with the quickness. With the quickness. There is a new lane. You need to stay in the Lord's. You need to get in the Lord's lane. Then stay in the Lord's lane. That's what he's doing. If you, some of you guys, we're all stuck in the lane that is heading to hell. Heading, uh, taking us away from God. And Jesus, with his life, death, and resurrection, built a new lane heading in the opposite direction. But you got to get off of it and loop back around on the other way. And he can do that. He's trying to bring Martha out of that. He's doing that for all of us. He, we need to get in a different 
lane. And listen, as great as all of these advances are that women, for women that Jesus has done, please don't, this is, a, we have to, can't dismiss all of those. But listen, what Jesus was trying to teach Martha was more than just launching a feminist movement. Kind of was, but it was bigger than that. It wasn't just a feminist movement, it was a freedom movement. That's what Jesus was trying to do. It wasn't just equality, which equality mattered. It was equality plus liberty for all. Not just equality for some, it was liberty for all. This is what Jesus was trying to do in bringing, in bringing her out. And now, in, 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 in fact, what he was trying to also do was remove our source of identity from our activity. Listen, I struggle with this a lot. I used to get bad grades in school, and because I got a D or an F in my word problems or this or that, it's like my grade says I'm dumb, so I guess I'm dumb. You see how the activity can, your identity can be rooted in activities. I'm not a good student, so that means I am stupid. I would screw up a lot, make mistakes here and there. Because I would screw up, I guess I am a screw up. You see? You see where the identity is rooted in your activity. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Because there's so many women out there that was like, well, what does the world say a woman is? And if you don't do that, if you don't be that, or fellas too, everybody, there's, here's a, a path, here's a way. If you're not in this, then you're not. Jesus is saying, no, that's forever changed. There's a new lane. There's a new lane where your worth is not, that your worth is not determined by your work, but your worth, your worth influences your work. There's something new. There's something different. Now your source, your, your, you don't have to, you're, you get to do because God has done. And it, it's all on who, what he has done. It is, you got to get in his lane. In fact, here, I, I thought of this. I thought this was a good image. I, uh, I, these, I used to collect um, football cards. You know, everybody used to, as a kid, they're worth nothing. Just so y'all want to jack me on this. And I was like, I think y'all barely make five bucks. And so I used to like to collect football cards. I, had, I mean, I've had this for over 20 years, probably. Just thinking. And uh, there's a famous, there's a famous, the top sporting, uh, the top sports uh, card right now is still the Honus Wagner, if you know. Honus Wagner, 1906, worth over $3 million. A piece of cardboard worth three million dollars one time i was with my mom and i went to go buy a dan marino rookie card i was 13 years old and i she we went to woolworth's who remembers woolworth's over at the tampa bay mall mm, okay i'm really going back in time now and so what don't worry google it and so we went to woolworth's over at the tampa bay mall and and i went with her she drove me i was gonna buy a dan marino rookie card for 130 dollars because i was saving my birthday money and she put me in that car so fast, I'm like, you are not spending $130 on a piece of cardboard. That card is worth like five times that now. So anyways, uh, <laughs> anyways, but if you think about it, I mean, how weird, right? I mean, this is just plastic and paper, right? But it's worth money though. Some are shiny. Some are shiny. The Honus Wagner, let me Honus Wagner's worth, again, $3 million. Do you know how many, it's been, there's horror stories after horror stories of, of mothers throwing away their, after their son leaves and moves away all of their baseball cards and throwing them away and finding, you know, it worth thousands in there and they had no clue. Listen, this is just a piece of plastic, just a piece of cardboard. The cardboard, the reason why this has money, even if it's worth five cents, but there's value on this. Why? The card didn't do anything. This piece of cardboard didn't go out and score the touchdowns and 
get inducted in the Hall of Fame or set a home run record? Why does this card have so much value when it did nothing? The card didn't do anything. But the card bears the image of someone who did. Follow me on that one? It bears the image of someone who did. This is a card. It bears the image of somebody who, a real person who really did something in the past. Significant. And the card has worth because of what that person did. And now because the image of that person is burned and put into this card, this card has value because of who that person is. Listen, when you place your faith in Jesus, look, you and I, we're just card, pieces of cardboard. We're pieces of cardboard, pieces of plastic. But you put your faith in Jesus. The image of Christ, the Holy Spirit, puts the imprint and the image of Jesus on you now. And the scripture says you are covered in Jesus' righteousness. And so now, before you were a piece of plastic, now you're priceless in him. You are priceless in him because you bear the image of your Savior. You bear the image of the King. You bear the image of the King. And because you bear his image, you have worth. Not because you did anything, but because he did something. He did something. He defeated sin and death on the cross and rose again from the grave. He did something. And when his image is on you, he now places his worth on you too. You have worth because Jesus is worthy. Y'all catch me on that? Listen, you have worth because Jesus is worthy. And when you place your life in him and you trust in him, that imprint doesn't go away. This card, I can bend it, fold it, it loses value. But what Je- what's amazing about Jesus is, is even if ours, if we bend and fold and it's a little faded, our worth doesn't fade. Our worth doesn't fade. It maintains. And God was saying to Martha, there is a bigger, there's more worth in you than what you're doing. There's a new lane where you need to live, Martha. There's a new lane you need to live. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he says, now that lane is open for all y'all. All right, there's no tolls. The price has been paid. Y'all can just run it. Just get on. Just get on. Believe in me and just take them. Just go. Just head in this direction. Keep going in this way. Now listen, the enemy, for those of you, again, you're, some of you are hard, probably you're heading in the wrong direction. Here's how you know if you're heading in the wrong direction. If you're not looking like, loving like, acting, I mean, if, if, if you're not falling more in love with Jesus, you're heading in the wrong direction. You got to get out of that lane. That's not the lane you need to be in. There's, a, there's the Lord's lane you need to jump into. And those of you who are in the Lord's lane, now you, you know what you need to do? You need to stay there. Because now the enemy's going to want to take you. Hey, why don't you take, recalculate, right, go this way. No, I ain't listening to you. No, do it this way. Hey, it's shortcut. Go that way. And now you got to go against the distractions, against the, you know, all the advertisements telling you to pause, come here, go there instead. No, you got to stay. You got to focus. You got to stay. And if you get off, just get back on. Jesus says, no, just come back. Remain in the Lord's lane. Because you know what's in the Lord's lane? I'm going to wrap with this. What's in the Lord's lane is three amazing things. Mary found it. That's why Jesus was telling, look, Martha, I'm not going to tell her to get up because she found something I want you to find. You're too distracted. You're too busy. You're too busy doing, you don't see what I'm doing, Martha. You're so busy doing, you don't see what I've done. There's a lot of us that we're so busy doing, we think we got the Jesus thing figured out. We're so busy doing, we still have not totally grasped what he has done for us or what he is still doing. Here's three things that are in the Lord's lane. In the Lord's lane, there's mercy for yesterday. This is what we've seen in the story. No matter the past, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you've done, there is mercy for yesterday in the Lord's lane. Your history does not have to determine your destiny any longer. Jesus can look past that past and says, listen, they're still worth in you. still love you. You are not discounted. You are not disqualified. You can stay in my lane. 
In the Lord's lane, there's mercy for yesterday. In the Lord's lane, there's grace for today. Grace for today is whatever you need more of, there it is. Okay? More patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, love, peace, hope, whatever it is, God says, whatever you lack in, I got an abundance of. And in the Lord's lane, there's mercy for yesterday, and there's grace to live today, but there's so much more. There's still more in the Lord's lane. In the Lord's lane, there's mercy for yesterday, grace for today, and hope for tomorrow. Hope for tomorrow. It's all there. It's all there. And heed Jesus' words. Don't be so distracted that you miss. You don't even know what you're doing. Well, you miss what I've done. Get in the Lord's lane. It's all that you need. Your, your, your behavior does not have to determine your value. No, my activity does. Dying on the cross, raising from the grave, that gives you now worth. And listen, for a lot of us, you're like, all right, but it's hard to stay in the Lord's lane. But it's worth every effort to stay. It's worth every effort to fight. It's worth every effort to get back on. It's worth every effort. It's worth every effort because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy. He makes it worthy. He is worthy. Jesus is a worthy Savior. He is worthy to be praised. And Jesus is worthy to be pursued.